You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simon. I'm a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can at any given point replay any of our episodes. They're always there for the taking. That's right. Uh, we have our New Game Plus system where you can listen to episodes and glean something that you probably didn't before by listening again. So take advantage of that. It's free. Yeah. Maybe you'll <laughs> get a trophy at the end. Ah, for you completionists <laughs> out there. Do you sometimes re-listen to podcast episodes? Sometimes. I'll... Not full ones, but sometimes if I listen to a comedy podcast and there's a particularly funny segment, I'll find it on YouTube or something. Mm, just to catch up on it and, and chuckle about it again. Yeah, usually I'm not the only one who found that part funny, so people will cut that up and re-upload it. I think I re-listened to our first couple of episodes as we started out, because I just wanted to better understand what we're doing <laughs> myself <laughs> yeah. while we were doing it. And so sometimes, even though I listen to every episode before it goes out, sometimes a couple of weeks later, I will re-listen to an earlier episode. I do that sometimes with our plus episodes, actually, because I find that the way that we structure a lot of those is so structured that I enjoy going through the topics and hearing what we were talking about. Yeah, and they can be quite helpful. Sometimes it can also make sense to just take some notes. I'm just going to do our little Studying Pixels Plus plug here because we're on the subject now anyway. Please. Because yes, if you like this show, then you can help us make it happen. We mentioned we've got this little thing called Studying Pixels Plus. Essentially, it is our Patreon program where you will get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You get a lovely sticker. And as we said, you get monthly plus episodes sometimes, and those are the ones that are often worth re-listening to. We give you quite a lot of tips on how you can improve studying or how you can get better at writing term papers or doing talks, how you can get more out of academic conferences, a whole lot of subjects going in that direction. Also, a whole lot of additional stuff on video game culture. If you're interested in that, then you can go to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. But before we move into our regular little ad break here, I want to briefly mention that, Dan, you've been a guest on a horror podcast hosted by our editor, Richard Mertens. Yes, the Pike Horror Show. It was a lot of fun. Richard and I talked about a lot of different things, but we talked largely about if you could boil it down and you've listened to it, it's why we're interested and love horror so much. Horror movies, those are these movies where where terrible things happen to terrible people who then either they die or they learn to become a little bit less terrible. Yes, and that's the goal. Become a little bit less terrible. <laughs> but I will say, perhaps my favorite German word of all time, schadenfreude. There's a lot of that in watching horror movies. <laughs> but it was a really interesting conversation. And for anyone interested in that, you can find it if you search for the Pike Horror Show. Specifically in the intro that Richard does, it's pronounced, I'm going to try to mimic Richard here. Yes. It's the Pike Horror Show. Oh. <laughs> it already gives you chills. It does. That's a really wonderful podcast. But now we're going to take a brief break and then we'll be right back talking about new game plus and replaying video games. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today we're going to talk about replaying video games. And while pondering the subject, I realized that the way I replay video games has really changed for me throughout the course of my life. The first association that I had when, Dan, you suggested the topic, I thought back to my childhood days and I thought how many times I've actually sat down and replayed video games. Often, I didn't even finish them. I have games such as Final Fantasy VIII is one of these titles. I played that when I was very young. I don't remember anything from the latter half of that game because I think I must have played the first half eight different times or something. Well, it's funny you say that because my brother, Matt, actually has a theory that people think Final Fantasy VII is complicated because they only remember the first disc. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe didn't have any other. That's right. They didn't get any questions answered or anything like that. But no, I totally agree. I think the first time I remember replaying something was when I was a kid and I would play Pokemon Blue over and over again, primarily because it was the only game I had. Ah, but you would play it from beginning to end and then you would start over and say like, oh, I want to, you know, like catch different Pokemon or have a different team and basically go through the journey again. Yeah, I think it actually sparked in me something that I continue to do and that my friends will make fun of me for, which is I like to experience games like that from start to finish. And then I like to delete all of my progress and start over and say, well, what if I did it this way? And I think that started when I was a kid and the only game I had was Blue, where I said, all right, I started with Squirtle. Now I want to see what it looks like starting with Charmander. And I would just do that until I thought I'd seen everything in the game. I see Pokemon really invites that kind of approach with picking your starter Pokemon, even though eventually I suppose it becomes rather immaterial as you collect more and more Pokemon, the starter is less and less relevant. I think that's what I learned from that, yeah. yeah. But it's kind of the same video game. <laughs> There's a bit of a plateau after you get, you know, a certain way through the game, that's for sure. But it is interesting because I felt like with Final Fantasy VIII, I've never seen the latter half, and I'm also pretty sure that with Ocarina of Time, I have also played that as a child. I even remember the day when I started playing that game, when I got my oh, wow. an N64 for my, I don't know what, sixth birthday or whatever that was. And I immediately leapt to it and completely neglected the delicious cake that my mother had baked for me. <laughs> and instead was like, yeah, yeah party's over. <laughs> Goodbye, friends. <laughs> I have a Hyrule to save. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got a Hyrule to save. My goodness, what they're going to do without me. But interestingly enough, I'm not sure whether I ever saved Hyrule, whether I ever made it through that game. Because for me, it was always like with many games, I didn't see them so much as 
hero's journey that I'm going through or a world I have to save. I saw it more as a world I want to be in. And so I would go around in Hyrule and I would spend a whole lot of time at the Lon Lon farm and just, you know, getting some milk. And then I would go back here and just like pretend as if I'm living a daily life. Yes. Even though it made no sense within the structure of the gameplay. But in my head, I was living as Link in Hyrule, you know? Well, I totally had that experience. And I have a bit of a theory that a lot of people develop nostalgic feelings for games like that, not because they beat them a million times, but because they did exactly what you just described, which is they would get home from school or they would, you know, get home from whatever they had to do as a young kid. And they would turn on this other world and just live in it for a little while. I think to me, it wasn't any different from playing pretend with friends yeah. or, you know, coming up with like games that you come up with as a child that you play with your grandmother or something. It was just, oh, I'm going to visit Hyrule today. And I think why that felt so special is because on the occasion that you did accidentally progress in the game, it was like a whole new world within the world opened up to you. Yeah. And it felt like you were really getting somewhere. The thing that I was fascinated most about Final Fantasy VIII was Balam Garden, which is kind of the starting area. And it's really just the starting point of the game, the starting point of the journey, which then has this transitional moment where you depart on your actual quest. But for me, being a student at Balam Garden and inhabiting that kind of space, you could maybe describe it as telepresence, so like a virtual a presence in a virtual world, by extension of controlling an avatar, that was the feeling that I longed for, exactly as you described. And that's why I never really saw games as a child. I didn't see them as like these linear things that I would progress through and finish and then move on. But instead, I would just like stay in that in one particular game until at some point, maybe a new game would come out and I would play this kind of different game without ever having finished Final Fantasy VIII, for example. Yeah, I have plenty of memories like that where I didn't finish... Legend of Dragoon until I was probably 14 years old. And I played that game since I was very, very young to the point where I'm sure you have this experience. I can recite lines from the opening scene of Legend of Dragoon verbatim with the cadence of the characters, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you how it ended until six years after I started playing it. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like the ending is completely washed or wiped from a memory. I don't know whether I even finished those games at all. Only way later... When I would come back to these games as a grown-up and say like, oh, these were one of my favorite games as a child, I'm going to replay it. Then I realized like, oh, okay, okay, this is, there are all of these kinds of further areas and this is the boss fight and so on. Yeah, it reminds me of the reading episodes that we've done talking about sort of the first academic looks at play. And there's something so playful about that engagement with games where you recognize that there is some kind of context for the story, but like you said, you're not looking to complete anything. You're just there. I kind of miss that a little bit. I try to recreate that in new games that I play where I try to put the blinders on to the metagaming aspect of it and just try to lose myself in the world. We've talked about that before. Do you find that that gets harder to do? <laughs> As you get older and you experience more games? It does get harder to do. It gets harder to do for several reasons. One of the main reasons is that I don't have a sufficient amount of time to just groove in a video game. When I start a game, I don't want it to be over as quickly as possible. Like, I don't rush through games. I never do. But I also must say, I don't usually take the time to replay games in my free time, I'm going to say, because I also have a job which is video game related. But in my free time, I don't usually replay games at all. I can't remember whether I've ever in the last 10 years 
sat down to completely and entirely replay a game. Well, I want to put a pin in that because I think maybe now is a good time to say why I wanted to talk about this. Yes. So recently I've done a few different things. I have this tradition that I didn't realize I had, which was when a new From Software game comes out, I play that game into oblivion. And then I go back and I play all the other From Software games. And I do that for a number of reasons, which I can get into. But I started thinking about why is it that I will forego new games to go back and play old games? And I think the reason for me is that it does kind of feel like new game plusing my life, where I'm not just playing a game over again, but I'm reflecting on old experiences that I've had while experiencing it for another time. And so I have a lot of different ways that I do this, and I want to kind of pick your brain, Stefan, to see if you do this too. But maybe a good place to start is, you just said, you know, you don't do this too often. Do you remember the last game that you replayed voluntarily? Voluntarily, I think, I mean, I actually replayed a game just this morning, but that was research related. I was going to say you do a lot of replay for research. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think maybe one of the main reasons why I don't really replay games for fun is because I often replay games for academic purposes. But I think one of the games that I replayed the most, even beyond the metagaming of getting a platinum trophy, that must have been Journey. A favorite of yours, I know. A favorite of mine, because Journey is a game that is very meditative. It is a brief, well, journey through the sands and uh, up on a mountain. It's a huge spiritual metaphor, if you so will. And I remember that when it came out, I reviewed that game and there was this controversy that Journey, to complete it from starting the game to run it, rolling the credits, it only took people like two hours. And people were like, oh, uh, pay $30 for two hours of video game? That is preposterous, you know? <laughs> yeah. However, I never understood that argument because what happens in Journey, there's not a big narrative thing there, so I'm not worried about spoilers here, is that you basically return to the beginning because the journey is an endless one. It's a circular process. And that's why that game, to me, felt like it was designed to be played over and over. Even though the game as such is the same, the items are where they were before. It's not a roguelike. There are no additional challenges, but you can explore a little bit more. Your garment gets a little bit more decoration with every run through that you do until eventually you get like a entirely white cloak, whereas before you always went in a red one. And of course, most importantly, you play it online. So you always got like at least one random person journeying with you. And by replaying Journey, I learned and transitioned from being a newbie who had someone and I was like worried that I'm annoying the other person because I'm keeping them from progressing or I'm giving up on that collectible because I don't want to waste that other person's time to myself becoming that kind of journey companion for others who would go around and who would say like, hey, ping, ping, here's a little collectible. Check it out if you want to or move on. It's fine. I don't care. I've collected all of that stuff anyway. I'm just in for the ride. And that was so beautiful. It is. And I I think there are special games like that that without getting too esoteric, I think they kind of call to you a little bit where you just, you have this itch where you say, you know, I really want to play Journey, you know? And I think those are special games because I think the older we get, the further and fewer between they become. They are special because Journey is probably one of the very few games that I have that I would consider my comfort game. Yeah, comfort. Journey is of profound beauty in its visual aesthetics, in its audio design, 
even in the minimal interactions that you have with other people, where it's just purely about the good, about being there for each other, supporting each other. And especially in times when I don't feel all too well or I'm going through a rough patch, still nowadays, I would just download Journey again, even though I've got the Platinum and I, there's no metagaming incentive for me there. And I would just spend the evening going through that journey like other people might rewatch a film that they know makes them laugh, just to experience this sense of comfort, of wholesomeness and of solidarity among people to show me that there is definite good in this world. I love that. And I think the term comfort game, I think is really appropriate because I have so many of those. And one of the ways that I engage with kind of replaying a game, so I have a pretty strenuous job. You know, it takes up most of my brain power during the day to the point where if I want to engage with a new game, I usually only do it on the weekend when I know I can devote my full self to it and really oh. engage with it. We've talked about this a little bit before. I usually have two games going. One is a new game that I, I turn everything else off and I just experience it. But then I have a grind game that is usually a game I've played before many, many times. And it's something that I go into maybe with a particular goal, but usually just with the goal of leveling up or progressing through the story or maybe crafting a particular item that I had never gotten or playing a certain build in a Dark Souls game that I never did. And it's a sense of returning to the familiar and not being surprised, but kind of getting those comforting feelings that you talked about, where it's like, I know I will get this experience from this game. I most recently did this with one of my favorite games of all time, Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII, I know backwards and forwards. I know every single part of that game. I can tell you the meta aspect of every single materia that you get. I know everything about Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Down to its lore and everything else. The original now. The original, yep. The fun for me is playing the game itself and grinding up levels and getting the final limit breaks and, you know, doing all of the fun stuff that that game offers, but also getting to certain points in the story that I can just experience again, because I know what's coming and I know, oh, that's a really cool line or, oh, this part is going to make me cry or, oh, this part's really funny. And I find that there's something very therapeutic about going back to a game that I've played a million times and just going through it again. I find that super amazing. I'm stunned, honestly, because I know that in recent weeks you've played through Final Fantasy VII mm -hmm. and all the From Software <laughs> games, yeah. platinum them, excluding Elden Ring, because that you've just recently finished. Yes, although I did that again. Of course you did that again. Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a lunatic, Stefan. We know this about me. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the big question... It's just how, how do you do that? Because I do know that you do have a full-time job, right? Oh yeah. Yep. And we do have a podcast. So we're also <laughs> like, we're involved in, in other projects. You know, we're investing quite some hours each week into our podcast project. How, how are you doing this? Because I, I can't, for the life of me, can't find the time to do such a thing. I only do this with games that I know backwards and forwards. I mentioned this weird tradition that I got, which was going back and playing all the previous FromSoft games. I would say... I probably do that at least every two years, if not every time a new game comes out from them. And the reason I do that is because I've looked at the oeuvre of FromSoft before, and when a new one comes out, I always love going back and seeing like how everything ties together. Because those games are, not that they're sequels to one another in a narrative sense, but there's so many thematic similarities that I love going back and just experiencing parts of, say, Dark Souls 1 having played Elden Ring and kind of looking back on, wow, look at how far we've come since Dark Souls 1 or since Demon's Souls. But the other aspect about it is that I've played them all so much and so thoroughly that 
I know every inch of those games. And so if I'm going for a platinum run or if I'm going for a completion run, it's a challenge for me to get to that as quickly as possible. I wouldn't say I'm speed running, but it's more so this thing that was so difficult to me once is now so facile. <laughs> and even Sekiro, which was the hard, it almost made me give up on games <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. <laughs> the first time it came out, I thought, I've missed the, the boat has left this dock for me in video games. It's too hard. And I platinum that in a week this time, just playing wow. after work. And because I remembered everything and I remembered how it felt and it, all it took was a little bit of time to get into the groove of it. And it was right back in that world again. And I, I just put on a podcast or I, I put on a movie on my laptop or something and I, I zone out and uh, it's very therapeutic after a long work day. That's so interesting. I'm wondering whether I should maybe try such a thing one day because I can totally relate to the feeling of not just going back to understand the oeuvre more or to get some kind of comfort, but also just the fact that contemporary video game culture is so forward-oriented, is so fixated on hype and on the next thing that comes out. And especially if you are involved actively in video game culture, whether you have a podcast or whether you're writing a blog or a professional video game journalist, whatever you do, there's always this kind of sense of urgency. Ah, Stray came out. Everyone needs to play Stray now. And uh, then uh, next week this comes out and everyone needs to play this Xenoblade Chronicles. We need to play that as quickly as possible. There's this kind of rush, at least that's how I experience it, a certain exhaustion after a while of chasing after that because you know that there, no matter how many games you play, while you play one, there are going to be eight more that you should actually be playing already. And I think it's an interesting idea of, I don't mean to say don't play any new games, but to just, you know, take a breather from that hype dynamic and say, I'm just going to go and do this. I'm going to do my thing and play through all the From Software games, or I'm going to go back and play an older, like, for example, a couple, like two years ago, I played like Final Fantasy VI for the lols. I had started it when I was very young and I just thought, hmm, I kind of found that cool. I never really played through it the entire way. I'm going to get it on my iPad and play it over the Christmas break. And that was so wonderful because it was old school. It was kind of this retro nostalgia for me. And I was completely disconnected from everyone escalating over cyberpunk, yeah. for example. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. it can be such a wonderful subversion of this kind of hype drive. Yeah, and I think there's a pleasure in knowing a game backwards and forwards like that so that you're not you're not necessarily surprised, but you're also, I find, not frustrated because you know you've done it before. So if it's a hard game, like a From Software game, you know, well, I did it once and there's something kind of comforting to that. But with your Final Fantasy VI example as well, I think it's like going back and reading something that maybe you missed in school. You know, you were taking a classics course and you said, oh, I, I know I have to read Dante, for example, but I just don't feel up to it. And then you pick it up later and you say, oh, that was fantastic. I'm glad I did that. There's a, it's a different mindset, I think. Yeah, I actually, coincidentally, I did that with The Divine Comedia. I oh, remember <laughs> I, I remember that we had to read it in school and I was like, oh, this is boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then only wait, many years later, I read through The Divine Comedia knowing its significance for contemporary narratives, right? Yeah. And then I was like, wow, this is actually still, it holds up as an amazing read and I really liked it. <laughs> it sounds silly. But because this is a hobby, right? It's a little more serious for you being a game, a game studies scholar. But I think that even without the podcast, when a new game comes out, I feel compelled in the same way that I might have felt compelled in an English class to read a particular book. And so once that hype has died down, 
I find I enjoy a game more if I go back to it if it's of my own volition. Which sounds silly, but you know what I mean. There's sort of this, oh, a new game is out. Everybody's got to play Cyberpunk to have a hot take on it. Well, I don't really want a hot take on Cyberpunk right now. I'm going to play that in two years and probably enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wait until until the game's done. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then once they've constructed it fully until the credits are visible, then, then yeah. I'm going to play it, you know? Let them make it before I play it. Yeah. Well, it's like you mentioned Stray. I have not started Stray yet because my girlfriend is still out of town and she really wants to play it. And I know I will have a better time playing that without the pressure of the hype culture around it when she's back that I'll enjoy it more. And I think that comes into this a little bit. Definitely let me know when you are scheduling to play Stray, because then I'm going to do that too. And we can do like an, a little belated review episode on studying pixels. I've actually got an important question and that relates to games that I never replay, which are decision-based games. But before we go into that, we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. 
that one playthrough that I've made, even though it might not have been optimal, even though a character might have died, that is kind of my experience yes. with that game. And I don't want to have it ruined by the fact that it could have gone a different way, you know? We talked about this in our episode on The Quarry when we played through that game where there is that feeling where it doesn't last forever, but that feeling of initially playing a game where you almost feel like to go back and experience the stuff that you know you missed is almost cheapening your story. And it feels like, oh, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather just keep the memory of what I chose in my head. I do find that I have a shelf life for that, though. Like, if I'm interested in something, I usually will go back to it and see things through, maybe a couple months later, if that. Yeah, I realize that this is true for me as well. I did enjoy, for example, Detroit Become Human, a game about androids who gain a consciousness, basically. And, well, depending on how things go, they either, you know, are freed or they're put into, like, the equivalent of concentration camps. It can go any number of ways. And there are even, like, drastic changes. There's, for example, a character that can basically drop out of the story entirely very early on, which changes things or mixes things up in a very significant manner. I often play through these, and this is then my actual experience. And then a couple of weeks or months later, I go back and then I just go all the different paths and just see like how far can I stretch the narrative. I'll tell you what put me off of doing the immediate replay on choice-based games was Undertale. Because I went through and I did do everything. And I think if Undertale does nothing else well, what it really does well, I think, is that it chides you for that curiosity and says, what did you really get out of this? And I think actually the platinum trophy on the PlayStation version of Undertale is, don't you have anything better to do? And I think that <laughs> it's just such a, that's always put me off of replaying games. Even if I'm interested, I always give it a grace period because I want to sit with what I got from it. In Undertale, I couldn't do that at all because I did a run through Undertale that led me, I think, to the normal ending. Yeah. Then I did a second run through, which is necessary. You can't get the best ending in the first playthrough, right? So you need a second playthrough, at least at a certain point. You need to jump back in before you're locked into the ending and then get the best possible ending. I did that. And then I, I was aware that there was a different ending. I was aware that you can let things go horribly wrong and that you can basically kill everything that exists in that world. I couldn't do it because I had grown so fond of these characters that I made a conscious decision. I'm never going to do that. I might read through what the result is. I might watch the boss fight of the, what is it, like the genocide run, I, th I suppose that's what it's called. Yeah, that's what it's colloquially called, I think, yeah. Colloquially called, yeah, yeah the genocide run. I'm going to watch that boss fight and the ending just out of pure curiosity, but I'm not going to do it myself. I had the exact same reaction to it because there is actually a moment where one of the characters, Flowey, who's kind of this pivotal character, if you get that best ending, he appears to you on sort of a black screen and just pleads with you, please, everybody's happy, just let it be. Please don't go back and do it again. <laughs> and I, I, I just think that, is that a little heavy handed? Maybe, you know, with a lot of other video game experiences. But listen, if something is true, then it's not sentimental. <laughs> and I think that the truth of the matter is that game is very affecting and kind of chiding you for that endless curiosity in choice-based games. Yeah, and Undertale constantly delivers these metaleptic commentaries. For example, I remember playing through it on, I think, the PS Vita, where you got, like, trophies, and it was like you collect the first item, and it's like, you trophy, pling, collect your first item, 
And then after five items, you get like, pling, five items collected. This is easy. <laughs> pling, ten items collected. This is easy. Yeah. Pling, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a special place in our hearts. I think, though, that feeling of wanting to go back and experience the other options is really tempting in games like that. I think another example for me is that once Mass Effect 3 came out back in 2012, I played to the end of that, and then... I got my particular ending and that was it. And I didn't go back to it until the remaster came out last year. And it was during the remaster that I went back and experienced different things to sort of get a better sense of what the game had to offer. But it felt like I was kind of tarnishing my original experience if I were to go back right away and play through all the alternative stuff. So I have a question for you because on this topic of replaying games, we're kind of talking about going back to them later to sate that curiosity. I have a game, I have a couple of games, but the one that comes to mind that I just don't see myself playing again because it was so special to me is Persona 5 Royal, where I put so much time into that game and I had such an emotional reaction as, you know, this is only about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, that I can't see myself going back and investing my time in that because it was so specific an experience that to put all that time again into it would feel like I'm cheapening it somehow. And you have also, if I understand this correctly, you've played Persona 5 before that, right? Correct. Yep. So that, that would mean you've already experienced most of the story twice. Yes. And then the additional sections of Persona 5 Royale basically on top. Yeah. And I think, in fairness, I do think that's... I'm glad I did it that way. I think that I got more out of Royal because I had the original playthrough in my kind of repertoire. But... Yeah, that's a lot of time and a lot of, beyond even the time commitment, that game is a very emotionally committing game. Very taxing. <laughs> yeah. Very much, yes. And it deals with a lot of difficult things, very big things, and it's very taxing. And so I can't see myself playing it again, even though it's honestly one of my favorite games of all time. Well, I'm actually in that spot in between because I've played Persona 5. I loved it very much. I didn't jump into Royale, though, for now, because the thing is that I know that's the peculiar thing about the Persona series. They do these, like, additional releases roughly one or two years after the original game came out. But the problem is you can't carry over your save game. You need to start over from zero. And this means a lot of time commitment. As I said at the beginning, committing time is the hardest thing for me and the thing that prevents me the most from playing games again. So I might at some point jump into Royale when I have a sufficient amount of distance from the story of Persona 5. So maybe that would be someone roughly in the middle between Persona 5 and Persona 6, where I would say, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do that and I'm going to go with Persona 5 Royale, experience that additional stuff, re-experience the story that I had enjoyed before. So that would be my legitimate point where I would say I'd replay Persona, basically. It's interesting because I kind of looked inwardly <laughs> to try to find out, like, why is that different? And one of the other things I wanted to bring up is that I find that with certain media, not just video games, but movies, TV, books, as I get older, there are certain titles that I go back to at least once every five years. And the reason I do that is because I feel I've changed enough in my own life that I'll see something different or I'll experience something different in this thing that is a favorite of mine. And I think that Persona 5 Royal hit me at the perfect time 
I'm sure if I played it again in five years, I would get something different out of it. Or maybe in 10 years, if I have a kid, maybe that'll change it, I'm sure. But I almost don't want to do that because I there's this weird push and pull where I know that would happen in my head. And I want to keep that memory of that game pristine and untouched. It's not like, say, a Silent Hill 2, where I purposefully play that every five years or so, so that I can see how it changes my perspective on it and how it affects me and my personal life in different ways. I'm very particular about it, Stefan. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> it is it's a very interesting thing that you illustrate that. For me, it's a little bit different, I think, because video games, for me, they are a lean-forward activity. When I play a game, I'm usually fully invested. It rarely ever happens that I play through, you know, a grindy thing and just listen to a podcast on the side. Usually I'm 100% invested. What I do, though, is, for example, I re-listen to audiobooks. For example, every couple of years, I would catch myself re-listening through books from Sartre or Kafka, because those are books where I feel like reading them over a couple of years later can really change my interpretation, my understanding. I'm sure that would happen with games as well, but because of the time commitment that they would require, like an easy 150 hours of going through Persona 5, <laughs> for me, the more attractive thing is that I would include them in other things I do. For example, the best point in which I would probably jump back into an RPG I've already played, a JRPG, is to replay it in Japanese. Yeah, oh yeah. It's not just the fact that I would change over the years, but also that I would play the game in a different mode or with a kind of different skill set that it would afford of me. So I would always try and, you know, get something new out of it deliberately. Here's my take on that, because as you know, I am a Japanese scholar, and people always ask me what interested you in Japan and Japanese, and my answer is simply video games. Yeah. And for me, I get so much personally out of playing video games. There are certain titles that mean, as I'm sure, as I know there are for you, we talked about one with Journey, and as I'm sure there are for you listening, that are so personal and affected you so strongly at a particular point in your life that I sometimes approach games as if there's a secret to them that I haven't found out yet. And that secret is really a reflection I'm seeing of myself in the game. And something that I found myself doing when I started learning Japanese was playing through my favorite games in the original Japanese because I thought, oh, if I can get through the translation, I'll understand it better. And honestly, I think that I do. I think I have a deeper appreciation for Kingdom Hearts and for Final Fantasy because I've played them in Japanese, and it's almost like I'm decoding this message that I always perceived to be there but never had the tools to crack. And going back and playing them that way, it feels like I have a deeper connection to this thing that already meant so much to me. I'm starting to understand that already because I'm playing, as I've mentioned last week, I think, I'm playing Triangle Strategy, which is a tactical yeah. JRPG that's pretty extensive, much more extensive than I thought it would be. And I'm playing it with original Japanese audio and English texts. And so I have always like a direct comparison because while I don't understand everything in Japanese, there's actually a lot of very complicated language in that game. You know, sometimes these sequences occur where a character says something in Japanese, which I understand. My brain immediately auto-translates, kind of. And then I read the speech bubble and I think like, that's kind of different, <laughs> you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get why they translated it that way, but there is a, a different implication in what this character said so that if you were to overcome that language barrier, 
you would also unlock a different side to these characters. And I think that can be really cool just as much as assuming you don't change anything. There are also games where it's totally worth replaying them because you gain a new understanding for the characters knowing the ending already, knowing how the story progresses. You understand, you play replay Final Fantasy VII, you get a new angle at Sephiroth early on in the game because you know how things are going to progress later on. And that can be super exciting as well. Well, speaking of, so my recent playthrough of that, I was going through it. Sometimes I'll approach games that I replay thinking, I'm going to look at it through this lens this time. And I think that's only something you can do when you have a good knowledge of the game that by doing so enriches your knowledge further. So usually when I play through Final Fantasy VII, I think of it in terms of characters who are going through trauma, who are dealing with loss, who are dealing with questions of identity, these big things. I go through and I experience it that way. And I always have that in the back of my mind. But this time I played through it thinking, you know, every character in this story has a role thrust upon them that doesn't fit their personality. And the story of each of them is coming to terms with who they are, despite the role given to them. And in a role-playing game, that's really interesting. And so I played through it thinking that, and I started noticing things I'd never noticed before. Characters like Yuffie and Vincent, who are these totally optional characters that you can miss entirely in your party, have these incredible stories told through maybe only 15 minutes of dialogue. But if you go through it with that lens, it just deepens their character so much more. So I, I do think it's a worthwhile endeavor because you see your favorites in a different light. And now we are approaching exactly the perspective that would be relevant to me when it comes to analyzing video games professionally. Because that's exactly the idea of an analytical process being non-linear. When I analyze a game, I don't say like, okay, so here's the research question, and then I play through that game, and then I answer the question, and I'm done. That's rarely the case. Usually, analysis is a circular and iterative process. That's the whole idea of hermeneutics, right? Hermeneutics is a kind of approach where you bring a question to a material, and then you kind of go through that material and see what kind of data you get. And then you take that data back to reinforce questions or to articulate new questions. And it goes like a spiral. A new game plus. Yes, like a new game plus that though always changes and always alters your perspective at what's happening with the material so that you can gain different angles of it. And when I analyze a game, that would normally mean I would, well, I'd try to save myself some effort. Uh, to be, I need to be completely transparent and honest about this because um, it's also a pragmatic business to be in. And I would usually play through a game and record my entire playthrough because then when I have a recording, I can easily make a screenshot, I can jump in between sequences and so on and so forth. But I would also, you know, go through each game usually, let's say two or three times in total throughout the couple of weeks that I'm working on a particular game. Just this morning, for example, I played through the first half of Outlast again. <laughs> it's part of my PhD and I realized like while I'm finalizing the analysis, I'm basically already done. The argumentation is done but I realized I still need a couple of screenshots here and there, you know, and then I, I need to jump back into it. So that's exactly what I was alluding to when I said that I don't really replay games for fun. I replay them often professionally, though. Do you find that it scratches a similar itch, though, if you're looking at a game that you need to analyze and you're just not getting what you want out of it or something just isn't lining up and then you approach it with a fresh outlook like you would a, 
you know, a science experiment, basically. And all of a sudden you get a different light bulb goes off for you where you say, you know what, when I look at it that way, X, Y, and Z also makes sense. Definitely. That's why I like to do inductive argumentations, inductive research, because a kind of deductive approach would be I articulate my question, I throw that question at the material, and then I get the answer from the material. So I basically come in from the outside and I throw it at the material. Whereas if I'm inductive, then it means I kind of go from the material and I look at what kind of questions does the material raise. You know, I try to find an analytical argumentation within the material itself. And often that raises all sorts of questions that I bring up and that, I'm, that get structured afterwards. That's what I personally prefer to do rather than just throw a concrete question at it. I think that iterative process, though, it gives you deeper insight into the game. And I, I think if it's not become apparent, um, I think what I love about it is that it gives me insight into myself. I have a short list of games. Dear listener, you know some of them. <laughs> Silent Hill, Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy. Another big one, though, that I, I just wanted to mention is a game that I definitely come back to. I didn't know why until maybe like a year ago, but Shadow of the Colossus is a game that I come back to almost without knowing why. And I think I've played it probably eight times. And the most recent time I played it was maybe a year or two ago. And I realized it was during the pandemic. And I realized that I'm drawn to games that discuss loneliness. And that game, playing through it for this most recent time, I had that revelation of myself where I said, okay, Kingdom Hearts, Silent Hill, Final Fantasy VII, all of these games that keep in my rotation, they all have to do with exploring what it means to be alone and how it can either be something precious or something terrifying. And I don't know that I would have gotten that realization had I not gone back to these games a million times over the past 10, 15 years. That's really cool because you actually took something away that helps you understand yourself from playing something like Shadow of the Colossus, which I assume is not rare because this game almost feels like designed for that particular purpose. It is, for what it's worth, I would say, a very romantic game. There's a deliberate emptiness in that game, literally for you to project whatever kind of sensations you are experiencing into it, right? And just it leaves so much empty on the canvas that you can project a lot of your own sensations into it and get even more out of it. That's kind of the amazing thing about Shadow of the Colossus. It is. And I think you know, generally speaking, the amazing thing about games, not to get too romantic myself, but you know me, Stefan, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's largely, sometimes it's therapeutic, sometimes it's recreational, but I think largely why I go back to games and replay them is because when I played them first, something sparked in me that really made me think about myself or my life or my friends or something like that. And going back is not just experiencing the story again or playing the game again, but it's sort of either re-experiencing that initial feeling that I felt or even analyzing it a bit deeper and coming to these greater revelations about who I am. I think that's why people reread books. I think that's why people rewatch movies. I think there's a lot to be learned from yourself with what you engage with. You know what's even more enjoyable to me than replaying a game? It's seeing groups or individuals of other people playing through the same game, basically. Yeah, because what I do as part of my courses at university is I select specific sequences for out of video games that I find particularly important and rich in analytical substance. And I would select them and prepare them 
and then there would be several student groups that would cycle through playing these sequences so we can afterwards discuss them. And watching the reactions, often I'm unfortunately not present while this happens, but watching the reactions and hearing the discussions and like getting a sense for all the different things that people get out of it, out of the one and the same sequence is really interesting, especially because I have seen these sequences. I think I've seen the torture sequence in GTA 5, the mission by the book. I must <laughs> yeah. have seen and played that particular sequence over 200 times by now. <laughs> and I still enjoy discussing it with students because there are often new things that come to light or new perspectives that come up in the discussion. So for me, I think replaying games is mostly interesting when it's either something that gives me comfort, that's like an emotional reaction to it, or on the other hand, when it really furthers and informs my analytical perspective on that particular game. Couldn't agree more. I'm envious that you get to have those conversations because my favorite thing in game discourse is when three people say the same thing and they say, well, I think that's what this sequence was about. And then one person says, no, I got a totally different read on that. This is it. And they're both equally valid and, and deepens your appreciation for that sequence. Well, please let us know what kind of games you replay? Do you usually replay games that you've played before or do you not? And if so, then why? If you want to reach out to us, then you can go to studyingpixels.com contact. Of course, you can support us and get Studying Pixels Plus. If you want to do so, then go to studyingpixels.com plus. Thank you so very much for listening to the show. And we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.